0: You're listening to Radio Boston, and we're looking at a partnership rooted in what Boston gets right. Jeff Speck is a celebrated urban planner and author of the book Walkable City. Chris Dempsey a former Massachusetts Assistant Secretary of Transportation, and a 2015 Bostonian of the Year. They are teaming up as Spec Dempsey to help communities across the globe become more engaging and healthy and really walkable with Boston as an object lesson. And when they joined us in Studio 2 this week, I teased Jeff a little bit about their very straightforward business name.
1: Thank you. We came up with that name.
0: That's very impressive.
1: Great to be back, Dicianna.
0: Fantastic. It's great to have both of you. Okay, so um, a lot of this partnership is kind of seems to be built on the idea of the walkable city. Jeff, you wrote a book about that in 2012. But I want to know what that vision is. So I want to know from the two of you, Okay, you close your eyes and you dream of the experience a person has living in a walkable city?
2: Well, I think it's worth noting how unusual and special so many neighborhoods of greater Boston are and that they are walkable today.
0: What does it mean to be walkable?
2: There are places where you walk outside of your front door and the walk that you're about to take, and Jeff has done incredible work on this, is interesting, safe, comfortable, and useful. It means a sidewalk that has trees to give you shade in the summer. Sidewalks that are wide enough that you feel comfortable not having cars rushing by you. You can walk your dog, you can roll your wheelchair on those sidewalks safely that as you're taking that walk, there are interesting things to see and do. There's retail or neighbors with interesting houses or gardens or parks, that the basic safety is in place so that when you cross the street at a crosswalk, you feel comfortable that you're going to make that trip safely and not be hit by a car. And that it's interesting that there is a dynamism to a neighborhood. You're running into new people or, or you're meeting old friends. You're seeing something you haven't seen before. There's a a street around the corner that you haven't been to, that you're invited to walk down because there's something special about that street that you see, whether it's architecture or public art or a park. All of that is possible throughout the United States. We have a lot of that here, and it is the envy of the rest of the country.
1: I'm uh, the lead planner for the largest transit-oriented development right now in the Salt Lake City area. Uh, It's called Utah City, and they filmed a promo Uh, And you can find it. You go to Utah City online, uh, supporting that project and selling that project. And uh, they wanted to film what a walkable city was like and have me talk about all the virtues of a walkable city. So they came to my home in Brookline and we literally just walked out the front door and down Beacon Street, ended up in Coolidge Corner. And half the video is shots of Brookline selling walkability walkability to Utah.
0: (laughs) Although I imagine that your pitch in Texas was probably not make Texas Boston again.
2: So we're working in a community there where in 1990, the population was 10,000 people and the population has doubled every decade since then. It's gone from 10,000 people to 80,000 people over the course of 32 years. And it's a sprawling suburb of Dallas, but they do have a historic core downtown, the intersection of Main Street and Broad Street, where they have this beautiful 19th century, almost old Western architecture that has survived. And they have brought us on the team to make that a walkable place because it used to be a walkable place. We can see the historic photos of people shopping in this district in the 1920s and 30s. But at a certain point in the late 20th century, they kind of gave over the space to the Texas pickup truck, like so
1: many cities. So it's it's a five lane, it's a five lane highway now.
0: All right. So here's my hypothesis: is I was is that when I when my when I read about the two of you joining forces, right? um, You know, Chris, we we've known you in a variety of capacities, assistant secretary of transportation, and you know, no Olympics, um, and and Jeff, you've been the walkable city guy for a long time. Uh, the two of you have met on a couple of different projects, now you join forces. So I read this, and here's what I find myself thinking. I think about Rosemary Day, who is with the mass connector when we first pass Care, winds up going out on her own because she knows, she knows Obamacare is coming, she knows there's a way of coming, and she can help states do it. I think about Mass Design Group, right? Mm-hmm. The group Great of architects front. who decide they know what's coming and they know they can be on the front edge. So when I see the two of you put this company together, I think they know, they really believe that we are on the front end of a change, a big change towards a kind of walkability, a redesign of who we are as cities. And you two think you can lead it.
1: I don't think we're at the beginning of anything. I've been watching this develop for 30 years.
0: Okay, so here we go.
1: Yeah, and and so the whole kind of, uh, you know... Towns versus sprawl discussion and walkable, real urbanism versus auto-centric planning and neighborhood design argument really started in the, in the 1980s with my mentors, Andres Duany and Elizabeth plater Zyberk, who created the new urbanist movement. And Andres gave a talk at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, and he gave it all over the country and the world, in this case in 1989 that I was at. And it was this, his classic Towns versus sprawl lecture. And I heard this story, and I said, oh, my God, this is the best story I've ever heard. And I want to rededicate my career from thinking I wanted to be an architect to doing this form of design instead. But also, it needs to be a book. And I pitched them in 1989 to write a book, Towns vs. Sprawl. It took us 11 years for it to come out. It was called Suburban Nation. And what's remarkable is that Suburban Nation, which was the most influential planning book of its decade, which was the 2000s, um, it could have come out in 1990. Mm-hmm. But it's a good thing it didn't because people were not ready for it then. But this whole concept really was catching on at the turn of the century. And then what I've seen is this walkability angle being the best way to frame just larger conversations around best practices in city planning.
0: Okay, So, so we,
1: we've called it neo-traditional town planning, which turned off the liberals. We called it Uh, The new urbanism, which turned off the conservatives, we call it best practices in planning. But actually, when you frame it through walkability, all of a sudden people People get it. And we're learning that the day spent in the auto centric environment is is enervating. It's unhealthful in so many ways. It's dangerous. It's fattening. I mean, it's just the worst. You know, driving is the new smoking, mm-hmm. and uh, we've known that for for a long time. And and people want to do something about it.
0: So we're here with Jeff Speck and Chris Dempsey. Their new partnership is Speck Dempsey. We're talking about walkable city. Why the two of you have joined forces now? What it tells us about. Boston, greater Boston, what's coming next for cities. You know, that's kind of the big picture here. Um, and, and, and I want to hit a couple of things. So you've just, uh, you know, done town versus sprawl. Let's grossly oversimplify this, Chris Dempsey. We've just heard Jeff Speck speaking. Chris Dempsey, grossly oversimplify. Town good because and sprawl bad because. Just Just rapid fire.
2: Well, towns are more economically diverse and vibrant places. They're better for the economy. They're better for our health because when we walk more or bicycle more, uh, we live longer. We live healthier lives. Um, they're more diverse. They create more interactions between people. They give people more time back in their day. I mean, we see clear correlations between commute lengths in a city and how many people show up at public meetings to engage in well, the future. Th- I mean, of
0: that's Robert cities. Putnam's Inverse, research from uh, Harvard, right? Yeah. About bowling alone and then yeah. afterward, that the more time you spend on things like commutes, the less time you spend building social capital. I,
2: I would exactly. make the case that that the city is humankind's greatest invention. And it's the place that enables so many other inventions and new ideas and concepts and partnerships. And sprawl can also be, um, attractive to people. They feel that they can get a bigger yard or they can, um, have more space, but there are so many hidden trade-offs that come with that. And I think more to the point here, we're not trying to take choice away from people. If people want to live in a, in a sprawling environment, that's okay. But we need to make sure that we are supporting The town structure, which, by the way, is the traditional New England form of of a village. So so, many of our cities are built around. that.
0: Okay, so I want to stay there a a little earlier in our conversation. The two of you talked about the fact the two of you have talked about the fact that Boston has a lot that you can teach elsewhere. How do we get there? Why is Boston so? So attractive to teach, or what? What does Boston get right, and and how did we get it right?
1: Well, with Jim. with all proper admiration, it's principally a function of the the years in which Boston was built.
0: So tell, so tell can, me more.
1: You can uh, you draw a very clear line in this country between those cities that developed before the presumption of, uh, uh, of mandatory automobile ownership. And after there you go. Uh, and then what you, what you also see though is a lot of cities that allowed themselves to be undermined in dramatic ways by embracing uh, the idea of the automobile as the only form of transportation. So Boston was damaged uh, not too much less) <laughs> than many other great American cities by the automobile. Uh, Projects like the Big Dig have have clawed our way back. Um, But with the exception of, right, Scully Square and the Central West End, we did not tear down too much of our city. Mm -hmm. And we only allowed a couple highways to rip it up. Whereas um, in many American cities, like a more typical city like Hartford, not only did the cities – not only did the highways – Plow through the downtown, but then the typical city street was turned into a highway. Right. So you had a lot of cities that had two way street networks that were turned into multi lane, high speed, one way street networks. We find those all over the country. I found it in Lowell when I went to do the downtown plan for Lowell in 2010. Uh, you may remember they had four major multi lane, high speed, one ways through their downtown. My plan and subsequent work uh, turned those back into calmer, slower, two way streets. Um, and then you have the the removing of parking lanes, the narrowing of sidewalks, just adding lane after lane in this in this false hope that somehow having another lane will solve a traffic problem that it only invites.
0: you know, th- we have a culture built on cars. So if you build it, they won't necessarily come. They will come. They'll bring their cars when they come. You know, what about that?
1: That is a chicken and egg problem that really haunts so many. Transit serve places in Massachusetts which is that you um, want to have better T ridership but the T ridership perhaps won't uh, grow until the service is better and but the service can't that, grow until we have more riders to pay for the better service um, but as someone who works with developers I think we have to plow forward with the understanding that the first step is to create a population that will ride the T and have confidence that the uh, the the wisdom of our leaders at the T and in the surrounding municipalities will lead the T to grow to meet the demand.
0: Well, that's a pretty big ticket item you just laid out. Well,
1: that's Chris's specialty. To
0: to shift gears, to use an automobile analogy, sort of the last subject that I want to get at here. I asked at one point, are we at a moment where um, we're on the cusp of An embrace of the walkable city or a drive towards or a movement towards um, really massive change in what cities want and and what municipalities are going to move towards. And I think my last question is where does climate fit in that picture?
2: They're absolutely connected. And um, transportation, as you know, Tiziana, is the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions in the country. It has been for decades. It's growing while other sectors are shrinking. And it's mostly private cars and private trucks. When we make walkable places, then we reduce that pollution. But it's also about reducing local air pollution. When you make more walkable places, you have less asthma, less cardiovascular disease, less heart disease, because people are breathing in fewer emissions. I think I'm hopeful about the future because of the leadership that I see, people like Mayor Wu, who has made climate a central part of her administration, but also transportation reform a part of her administration. She's a, a mayor that walks to, walks to work or, or bikes and takes transit to work. Um, we need more leaders like that who are willing to say, this w- works for me, works for my family, works for my neighbors, and we're going to have more of this in a city like Boston.